Hello and welcome, or welcome back, to Wonder Woman Wednesdays, a podcast that takes a look at the classic Wonder Woman TV series, starring the incomparable Linda Carter. On the last Wednesday of every month, we break down an episode and we talk a little cosplay with the greatest fans in the world, Wonder Woman cosplayers. I'm your host, Stan the Man, and I wouldn't be me if I didn't once again bend the rules and break format, because this month's guest is not strictly speaking a cosplayer. Though she has dressed as Wonder Woman, she's also a very dear friend of mine and an actor working in film and TV, Carrie Ann Hunt. Carrie Ann and I are going to do our best through a haze of tangents, asides, and ADHD shenanigans to break down Season 1, Episode 5, and 6, in which... Diana is joined by her younger sister Drusilla, played by Deborah Winger in her first TV role. Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl must out with the Nazis, who hatch a plan to invade Paradise Island, allured by the spell of the feminine mystique. Welcome to Wonder Woman Wednesdays. And normally what would happen here is I would I would read in a majestic voice the uh the description of the episode but i forgot to write one so i'm gonna do that later uh so we'll just pretend that just happens how about that intro huh amazing amazing <laughs> just just amazing um so i'm talking with carrie ann uh and we are friends i'm gonna just disclose that right now <laughs> like like out of all the people i've talked to except my wife on this podcast, I've I've known Carrie Ann probably the longest, and because uh, we're both actors, we're both theater people. Well, you're you were a theater person. Now you're more of a movie person, right? Yeah, that's true. I my background is in theater, but I did transition into TV and film, and that's where I've sort of landed. Yeah. So so tell us about yourself. Oh my gosh, that's the question every actor hates. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, I oh god, I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> Can you say your base of operations is Atlanta? Yeah, I um yeah, I'm based in Atlanta though I do travel around for work. Um and I have a theater degree like you like you mentioned. Um we've done we did a fantastic show together called Goddess in the Magdalene that still right. lives in my heart like forever. Yay. And yeah. if if I may, like so you played a goddess who also kicked ass. So yeah. that's very much related to what we're talking about today. It is indeed. I, I got to learn actually for the show. I got to learn some Aikido. Yeah. That was the base for my fight scene where uh, she takes on two guards. Yeah. Yeah. And, that was awesome. Yeah. And well done, I might say. <laughs> it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, I started out in theater. And then um, when I got out of school, I got an agent and started doing uh, television and film and really just kind of fell in love with the immersion you can get uh on screen but I still I still love stage work I you know I'm just a storyteller at heart so I like I like being able to perform in whatever medium they let me you know yeah now one of the things that you have done in the recent past and that is related to this podcast uh and I will say not as related maybe as as our usual guest our normal format is to talk to somebody who is a cosplayer uh, a Wonder Woman cosplayer and who uh, loves the uh, the Linda Carter TV series. And we've stretched that just a little bit today. Um, so talk about 
uh, what we might equate to cosplay. Yeah. Like Wonder so, Woman cosplay. Yeah. Okay. So, and th so this is kind of, I felt, I felt like this would be really interesting because um, I sort of came to know Wonder Woman through a job. Right. Um, I used to do live entertainment gigs, mostly for children, but also for charity and corporate events. And I frequently got cast as Wonder Woman. You know, it's all the dark hair, I guess. Yes. Um, it's kind of funny because I'm five foot four and <laughs> clearly not the size of an Amazon. But if you're five years old, I'm pretty tall. <laughs> you know, right. Um, and they put me in some of the, those kick-ass boots too. So that gave me another three or four inches. Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. I, that's how I kind of came into to Wonder Woman was being paid to play her for events. Yeah. And I want to talk to you later about uh, how it was, you know, interacting with kids. And, and you also teach kids, which I also want to talk about. Um, but so the other thing is, um, as far as the Linda Carter series, you've never seen it before. This was my first time. These two episodes, I feel like I've I'd seen clips of her and thinking about it. I remember I have an older sister and my older sister really loved Wonder Woman. So I'm sure that I saw bits and pieces. I don't even I don't think that that's my dog. If you hear collar oh. shake, come to say hello. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, like I remember I just. I hadn't seen, I'd never seen an episode, you know, like I, I YouTube some clips, like when I was playing, when I was being hired to play her, I did, you know, a little bit of research. Cause honestly, when you're interacting with kids as a superhero, you don't have to know everything, everything, mm -hmm. right. But I looked up some, you know, some of her, but I really hadn't seen anything until today. Like, this is like, I'm like a Linda Carter newbie. Completely. Right. So I think that'll be really interesting. Like we're going to talk about this episode as though you've, it's the first thing you've seen because it is <laughs> the, the yeah. first thing of Linda Carter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk, I definitely want to talk more about that um, stuff later, um, but let's jump into the episode. Normally I'm almost afraid to, normally I would ask you like, first of all, what's your overall general impression of the episode? But I, I, I just don't know if I want to jump in there. We we could save it for later, or you could tell me now. I'll just tell you now because it's. I feel like that's a good broad broad thing. So I went into this understanding that this was filmed in the 1970s, right? So I yeah. sort of knew that it wasn't gonna like Gal Gadot is my Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, you know I love her. That's you know the Wonder Woman film that she did. The first one. We'll pretend the second one didn't happen. The first one, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, it just blew me away, right? Like I cried through the whole thing. And I saw it opening day in the theaters, everybody, like the whole theater was like cheering and crying and it just was just an amazing experience. Right. So, I knew, but I knew that the, the TV show was 70s camp. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, I thought it was a lot of fun. Awesome. You know, I thought it was a lot of fun. Cool, cool. And um, also, are you familiar with Deborah Winger at all? Like, have you seen Officer and a Gentleman or have seen officer and a gentleman okay oh, okay so good because i i mean i've seen quite a few of her movies and to see her this young was a little bit startling like yeah. she's really young and it's she's and a baby yeah, yeah it's i mean she's 18 and it's her first it's it's one of two of her first jobs she she also filmed a movie around this time uh that was what actually cool first job i know i know what a cool and and uh i don't i don't know that she liked it uh, hearing about some of the the um, the trivia from backstage, she actually 
had she spent a lot of money to get out of her contract. So and but I don't I don't know that necessarily she was having a terrible time so much as she didn't want this to be her life for the next three years, you know, I could like, see that. Yeah, because she's immediately sort of a sidekick. And I don't yeah. think she, what from what I know about her, she doesn't see herself as a sidekick. Yeah, and I think that was probably smart on her part, to be honest, because if she had done a film and this around the same time, she probably got a taste of what it was like to be. Because at the time, like now, I feel like the lines between TV actors and film actors are very, very blurred because TV has gotten so cinematic. Right, right. Back in the 70s, I feel like you were a TV actor or you were a film actor and you didn't do both. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. And I can't remember when that changed, but there was a definite shift but it was like later on, like maybe in the late 80s or the 90s. I feel like to me, and this is much later than that, to me, I think Game of Thrones changed everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because Game of Thrones, and which is funny because I also have only seen a few episodes of Game of Thrones, which is bonkers because I'm such a fantasy nerd. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I just remember it changed the landscape because it was like, the amount of money they were spending per episode and the cinematic quality of each episode and the the right you know what i mean so i feel like that kind of turned the tide with like starting to see shows you know it kind of paved the way for shows like outlander which if you ever do an outlander podcast i'll be your guest every time heck yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you, you know what i mean i feel like that's that's one that i feel like that's where i noticed it i mm-hmm. guess where you started seeing like the like TV, like I I used to be a movie person and now I'm more of a TV person. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, cool. I so yeah, I, I think um for whatever reason, uh Deborah Winger did not want to stay into her in her contract. So mm-hmm. she <laughs> so she did this episode, well, th- this pair of episodes. She did one episode at the end of the season, and that was it. And I think they envisioned her to be more of a regular Mm -hmm. uh so that's too bad but also a lot of a lot changed about the show um at the end of this season they they actually got canceled and picked up by another network and a bunch of stuff happened so she may have gotten out of her contract anyway without having to pay for it but who knows yeah (laughs) i thought the theme song i another thing i noticed i was like this is like the world's longest intro (laughs) (laughs) well i will tell you um my impression, and I, I don't disagree with you at all, but my impression is uh, theme songs did used to be longer. Yeah, they did. But this is longer than other ones that I've heard. <laughs> In fact, if I may be totally nerdy, when I was a kid, uh, when, when I was a teenager, I realized that a lot of the intros that I was hearing were exactly one minute long. Mm. And so I would record them and and just play them over different, like I would record the MASH theme song and play it over taxis opening and then play the taxi opening over Barney Miller. And it all, it always worked out to a minute, but oh, this, but I think this is longer than a minute for sure. It's gotta be. It's my favorite line though. in the theme song is in your satin tights fighting for your rights. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we love that one too. Laura and I, we've talked about it. Uh, it's, it's appropriately goofy. Yes. Um, Okay, so let's jump into this episode, and and I'll try to be quick because, like, I think the um, you know the uh, unscripted conversation is a lot more interesting than than me reading my notes. 
Uh, but but uh, <laughs> I'll do my best to be fast. So so the opening shot is John Saxon looking off the Virginia coast and he sees a a, a guy get dropped off by a sub. And you get the uh, you get the idea right away that these are two Nazis and they're in the States and something is going to happen like they're they're, uh, you know, working undercover spies, if you will. And John, the boat, I don't know if you noticed that, but he has trouble with that rubber boat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like when they're trying to get it on the shore, he's like flustered with the boat. for a Yeah. Minute. And he does. I'll say this now, although it's not as evident in this scene, but. But that's a, a typical thing, like where they they just stayed on him when they maybe would have cut away if they were doing a one hour episode. Yeah. But but because it's a two parter, a lot of these scenes are stretched out. Mm-hmm. Like we're really taking our time here when we don't always have to. So <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Uh, but yeah, we we noticed the the uh, difficulty he has with his little with his little dinghy and. Uh, I wanted to say John Saxon, we will recognize, or at least some of us from the the first place I saw him was Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee, the Bruce Lee movie. But he was also on Nightmare on Elm Street and Black Christmas, which is a big old B movie. And I, I love I've it. I've seen none of those movies. No. I don't I, I don't know who he is. I don't even recognize his name. <laughs> See, I was gonna say, even if you haven't seen the big movies or or can pinpoint them, he's got one of those faces where he's been in like a million, you know, roles as the bad guy. But you but you didn't recognize him. I didn't recognize him at all. He just to me, he had that very generic, like I feel like we're still like in that in the 70s, we're still moving out of the transatlantic accent. Oh, yeah. You know, and he has that like just old Hollywood, he just looks like an old Hollywood male lead to me. That's funny you say that about the accent. I I was trying to figure out if he was because a lot of the guys that play Nazis on this show will do a really sort of affected German accent, like a really crazy German accent. But not he, this one. No, no, they didn't. Well, there was one guy who is actually a Swiss German actor who comes up later. His name is Kurt Lowens, and he plays a general later on, and I'll I'll talk about him. But anyway, so yeah, that's really interesting. He yeah, he just he had a strange way of speaking. Yeah, it was almost like they were trying, like, it was interesting because I was noticing that where I was like, they're not even trying to have a German accent. Like, they're no. not at all. Well, I figured he was, you know, he's been a spy. So he's, he's spent, he spends all his time trying to sound American, right. but he doesn't quite sound American either. You know, always, it sounds like, well, a lot of it, I feel like a lot of like, you even hear it in Star Wars. They, it's that quippy kind of, it's, it's an older style of acting. Uh-huh. You know, that you just that it's and you see like some of the residuals of it in some of these actors, too. And I feel like you see it in him where he's just got that like affected sound. Yeah. Like old school actors. Like, are you talking about like uh, Ben Kenobi? Well, I guess he's British, so he doesn't count from I'm from Star Wars, the the, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Okay, like the guy before (laughs) the guy. the the actor that played him before the Scottish guy. I can't think of either of their names Ian right McGregor? now. The guy before you and McGregor. Uh, oh, 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 oh. McGinnis? Alec Guinness, yeah. Alec Guinness, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Alec McGinnis. He's he's a, uh, well anyway, uh, we're going we're going a little bit far afield. We're still on the shore with this sub yes. submarine Keep and going. the guy with the bad dinghy. Okay. <laughs> so 
so we find out these spies are up to no good, right? So then we cut to Steve and Diana. And again, this is where like we would normally just cut to them at the airfield, but we see them drive up and show their credentials and all this stuff. And the spies are already there watching from a distance over over some cows. They have cows <laughs> in the way. We have to prove that it's Virginia, I guess. Because <laughs> I That's thought about right. that too. I was like, what's up with the cows? <laughs> so um and then we get some exposition They're What they're doing is testing a, a jet called the XPJ1 jet. And everything up until now that you see on the show is done with, with propeller airplanes. And so this is the first jet you see. And I, th- I think, I can't tell in this scene, but I think Diana's sort of having a little bit of a private laugh at them because they're so excited about this jet. And she has a jet. Right. Like she has an invisible jet. Not only is it a jet, but it's invisible. So, you know, and she's like, oh, you guys are so proud of yourselves for this this little <laughs> jet you got here. So, but I can't tell because Linda Carter really sort of underplays it. But that's what I was thinking while they were talking about. Well, I was, how- it was interesting because I was thinking about like the time period and I was thinking about how women are portrayed and things like that. And just like throughout both episodes there is that like sort of stereotypical oh <laughs> you guys are so clever it's amazing yes it's very impressive how does it fly jet propulsion and it really flies oh like a bird are you ready i guess so you really are a genius i knew you'd be surprised this is why i've been taking that secret training course surprised i am amazed are you sure it's safe? Oh, it's safe. It's incredibly fast. It maneuvers like a dream. That's wonderful. But they, they kind of flip-flop around with, like, when she's on Paradise Island, they're like, all men are stupid and we hate them. <laughs> and then when she's back there, she's like, oh, you guys are so smart. So yeah, well, she later on, she has a, a little speech that maybe I'll I'll sort of put in here when I edit. Um, that's uh, It sort of encompasses all that, you know, because her sister asks her after she finds out she works for a man she's like what are men like because she hasn't really run into them yet and and she has this speech about well they're they're devious and they're honest and you know like all these sort of dichotomies yes i don't much like it you look too dowdy yes it's a very necessary part of my plan it allows me to be in military intelligence where i can know immediately where i'm most needed i guess it must help Yes, and it also enables me to stay close to Steve. Major Trevor. I work for him. You work for a man? (laughs) Yes. He tells you what to do and you do it? Yes. What are they like, Diana? Men. Oh, they're like children. They're like gods. They're like geniuses. And fools they are all things yeah yeah no i remembered that because she said she says well they're fools and they're geniuses and they're this and they're that and they're they're every they're everything at one time mm-hmm. yeah which which sounds like i mean it sounds poetic but when you think about it she's not saying anything right I mean, she's just <laughs> saying they're they're people. all different they're just people yeah yeah <laughs> But but I still like the speech. I mean, there's just something about it that, and it's her delivery. I mean, she really, delivery. yeah. Well, she's got this like sweetness and kindness to mm. her 
that when she's saying it, you kind of know she's saying nothing, but you're kind of like, oh, it's nice. <laughs> yes. So anyway, they're excited about their jet. And so the the spies decide to act. And so there's, you know, there's other spies that are playing MPs and they make some fuel tanks blow up. And so there's a big distraction. And then they start firing at people seemingly randomly. Yeah, and- it's... It's very pew pew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so so Linda Carter, uh, Wonder Woman, Diana, uh, uh, runs off to the side because she's going to have to change into Wonder Woman. So the spies, um, you know, the guy we saw on the shore uh, who was there to, specifically to fly that plane. Sorry, I just I just uh, I realized I should have said who the actor was, but I wrote his name down like way later and I don't want to get confused. <laughs> so. Uh, Because it comes back later. Spoiler alert, he doesn't die. So he jumps into the plane while uh, Steve is running for cover. And then Diana changes into Wonder Woman. Now, have you seen the, uh, you've seen that spin before, right? Here's the thing is I was really surprised a little bit because I always, I think I have seen it before, but in my mind, it was different. Like in my mind, it was much more because I used to like, we'll talk about this later, but when I would do the entertainment stuff for the kids, I would teach them the spin, Uh right? But it was different. Like it was faster and tighter and like almost like not like Wakanda forever, but you know, more like arms, arms crossed. And maybe that was like a Gal Gadot thing, or maybe that was something that evolved later because this spin... (laughs) looks it's a little clumsy her spin it's just this sort of slow kind of looks like it might have been a dance move at one point but i was surprised that it was that (laughs) well that's interesting you say that it does come from a dance move i mean she helped invent it like they were trying to um you know figure out how she did a transformation and when they did the pilot and she has some dance background and so she suggested that but She's also been doing this spin for three years, like like over three years of the show. Yeah. And there's all kinds of, you know, memes and, and gifs out there showing the spin from all kinds of different episodes. And it's possible that in one of them, she may have held her hands in like that. And maybe have, that's one that you saw. Because I, it looks like because it looks like because I have a dance background too, right? Mm-hmm. And what she's doing in the beginning in in this episode, it looks like a very very loose, almost like Shanae turn, which is like a pirouette but without one of your legs up, right? Mm-hmm. So it looks like she's doing just this. I could get up and do it for you, but no one will see it. No um, one will see it. <laughs> but you know what I mean. But it looks like it looks like just sort of this loose, but it's kind of this like loosey goosey version of it, which is a little strange. And then later i just had in my memory that it was more of a like a tight a tight spin uh-huh. right where everything's pulled tighter in and it's faster you know and 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 it was just it was interesting when i watched that because i thought huh it looks like it just kind of like it's kind of goofy yeah uh, and well i will say that when later on when uh deborah winger tries to do hers it's a little extra goofy, extra goofy yeah <laughs> Only because she's like purposely trying to fail at the first time she does it. But right. then the, the second time she does it, it's not much better. But no. at least she has more conviction. Yeah, she, she's more she's more into it. And I mean, yeah. it's, well, when you look at all the, well, when we get there, we'll talk about more, but when you get to Paradise Island, they're all in like Martha Graham dance outfits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. <laughs> that that is a great way to describe it. I I've been having trouble trying to describe what these outfits are. They're you dance know, costumes. Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> modern dance costumes. 
Well, so she does her spin and uh she turns into Wonder Woman. She, you know, she manages to uh to fight the uh guards, but the plane gets away, which is a little weird because later on the same exact thing happens, but she ca- she can catch the plane. Right. Later. Uh, so I don't I don't yeah. know why she gives up at this point, but she doesn't it's okay because they have a failsafe and they blow up the plane. Right. Steve, Steve's like, don't worry about it. We'll uh, we'll take care of it. I got to get to the I, control tower. I particularly enjoy the controls. It's literally two buttons where he's <laughs> like, he pushes one and he's like, nope, that's going to do it. And he's like, oh, okay. Second button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very, you know, they wanted to keep things simple, I think, for the, <laughs> uh, for the 40s there. Um, so, yeah, they blow up the plane. But, of course, the, uh, the, the spy pilot uh, manages to parachute out. So they go back to Germany, right? And so now the Nazi commander is yelling at the pilot, you know, like dressing him down like uh, he failed. But, you know, the plane blew up. Uh, <laughs> what can he do? <laughs> so the guy that's yelling at him is uh, Major Hemschler. And he's played by Kurt Kruger, who is uh, a German-Swiss actor. He's not actually not the guy that I was talking about before, uh, but but he is a German Swiss actor who was in a submarine movie called The Enemy Below. He's in a lot of stuff, but that's the only thing that sort of jumped out at me. Although I've never seen it, so I don't know why it jumped out at me. But but anyway, so this guy, you know, he says, "Well, I guess the plane blew up, so it's a failure." However, there was a woman there who had bulletproof bracelets, and we should look into that. So, <laughs> so we we go back to. Um, the U.S. and the other guy, John Saxon, uh, whose name is Radel. I should start calling him Radel because that's yeah, his that character guy. name. Uh, he's so he now he's with a park ranger who is also a Nazi, and they go to the park's ranger station and send a, a message to uh, to Germany about you know this this you know this Radel's still alive. the The mission was a failure, however. And he's the one, I'm sorry, he's the one that points out to, you know, to his Nazi commanders that uh, the, America has a secret weapon and it's yeah. a woman with and bracelets. The reason I like snort laughed when you talked about him being with the park rangers, because there was this very like conspicuous scene where he's like hiding in the car <laughs> and the guy and the guy is like some sheriff or somebody walks by and he's like, hot afternoon, sir. And he takes <laughs> off his hat and then they have this like, exchange where i was like are they flirting with each other was <laughs> i like, thought you know, that too it I, was it was very flirty yeah yeah i was like where is this going <laughs> and, then they, and then he walks away and the guy pops up in the seat and, he, and you're like oh okay it was a cover but what a weird what a weird 60 seconds that was yeah well i think it's one of those scenes that just didn't have to exist but yeah <laughs> uh, but they had the extra time so why not yeah, yeah so 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 yeah uh radel uh tells his commanders that america has a secret weapon it's a woman with bracelets and <laughs> we should we should definitely figure out what what's going on there uh probably more valuable than a jet plane who knows so then this major asks his commander um and this is the guy i was i was thinking of what's his name uh ulrich General Ulrich, I didn't write down. I think he's Swiss. No, no, no. He's um, he's he was born in Germany, but he was raised in Switzerland, right? And uh, his name is Kurt Lowens, the actor. 
And the reason I point them out is because I have this very annoying habit of anytime somebody from this show is in MASH, I will talk all about it, even though it's like a very minor credit for them. Like, I don't care what else this guy's done. He was on MASH. He he played, I think he was a general from Luxembourg. There was there was an episode, an old episode where um, a Luxembourg soldier somehow disappeared uh, on the in the mash episode, like like on the on the on the uh, the grounds of the camp. They they just lost him like he they they knew that he died, but they didn't know where his body was. And so his commander comes looking for him. And that's this guy. And Henry Blake calls him a Luxemburger. And then the the uh, the guy they have like a ceremony for the missing soldier, and then the missing soldier shows up because they're playing the national anthem of Luxembourg. That was like a really weird little story, and I'm sorry. No, it's okay. You know, the funny thing is, I've never seen Mash, so I was listening to the cool sounds of the ocean while you were while you were describing that. You've you've never you've never watched Mash. No, my grandma used to watch MASH. I remember my grandmother watching MASH. She used to watch it before bed, but. Uh, sorry, I'm still trying. I'm still trying to recover here. You have never seen MASH. No. Uh, we have a lot of work to do, Carrie Ann. A lot of work to do. <laughs> so anyway. When I visit you and Laura, what's going to happen is uh, there's going to be like an army tent set up in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I apologize for the meandering story about MASH. I In my head, I told that a lot better and a lot shorter. But anyway, the dude's from MASH and he's awesome. And so he tells the guy, look, if you believe that there's a woman with bulletproof bracelets, go after her. But it's your butt if it's fiction. So, so that's the plan. So now they're forgetting about the jet and they're going after not only and and the weird thing is i don't think they normally would have noticed that her bracelets were bulletproof because there's a lot more to oh, notice about lot, her and there's a lot going on too right, right but i think because they number one they wanted to involve paradise island and they wanted you know that someone just came up with a story idea they fixated on the bracelets and he started you know talking about like a you know what if we had a bulletproof Plane. A superior, very strong woman. If only we could learn the secret of her strength and the bracelets she wears, the material from which they are made. Imagine, Hemsler, a panther group with tanks that are impervious to Allied guns, submarines that cannot be sunk, aircraft that cannot be shot down. Bulletproof tanks? And I'm thinking to myself, aren't tanks kind of bulletproof already? <laughs> I think they are. But anyway, he was very excited. So so then we cut to Paradise Island. And I have a lot to say about Paradise Island. <laughs> I'll I'll bet you do. And <laughs> I will say Paradise Island is featured in the in the pilot and Laura was very excited about it and she's like I I really wish they would just stay on Paradise Island. That's more interesting than you know, being in America, being in the city and all that stuff. Like, let's, let's just do Paradise Island stuff. Um, I imagine being someone who has, you know, seen the movie, <laughs> the, the Gal Gadot movie and that Paradise Island, this one might pale by comparison. It, I will say 
I love this Paradise Island for exactly what it is, which was probably a park in L.A. Yes. Um, it looks like Griffith Park or something, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's really funny to me that like it's this is when I was watching it going, mm, this was written by a bunch of dudes, you know, because it's just like like girls frolicking around in dance costumes and they're, <laughs> and they're like, their Olympics. I'm saying this in air quotes are just like. It really looks like they're in someone's backyard. And there's a point where they pan the camera and you can see a modern building yeah. in the background that they probably <laughs> just didn't realize. Yeah. I even the uh the pilot episode, which was filmed roughly a year before this one, it it was a little bit more interesting. Be I mean, part partly they had a little more money, so they had more extras, and they were having competitive games like this one, but they were shot better. I mean, I will say yeah. a lot of a lot of the responsibility of of your issues for this uh, may fall on the director. Oh yeah, well, the director, the studio, the budget, right? Like, right, right. There's so many, and probably actually not even really the director because the producers are the ones that really control the money and things like that. A lot of times, the director yeah. is the best with what they're given. Right, um, right. And I think it was just funny because it definitely looked like just a little gymnastics bar set up in somebody's backyard. <laughs> I know. And I was trying to figure out like the timing, like if this was near the like the 76 Olympics, if people were super excited about the uneven bars. <laughs> Maybe. Well, my favorite one is when they do a camera trick. To make it look like the girl jumps over the bar, but it's oh, right. the sound effect. It's the <laughs> <You know? laughs> goes over and she lands it. But it's almost like it's it's weird. It's this weird blend of like the show feels really feminist sometimes because mm. she's, you know, like in charge and kicking butt and things like that. And then other times it feels really reductive. Like when you look at it and you're like, oh yay, you did a you you jumped on the bar. Good yeah, too, you know, and they're all and and then I was like, they or they go off to fight and they're wearing heels and dance costumes. <laughs> just, like I don't, but the the island looks better later when they're like when we get to when we see the island towards the end when they're like on the coast by the mine. Yeah, then it looks like Paradise Island. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and the, the we'll talk about the headdresses on the Queen later, but <laughs> <laughs> those are great. Well, I will say, and this is probably not really news to you but something that keeps coming up and something that's sort of becoming a theme of this podcast in particular is at the time that they did this because it was the mid-70s what's what's interesting uh, what's good about the show and a detriment is that they they had to constantly seem to walk this line between yesterday and tomorrow like between the progressive ideas like feminism and the patriotism that sort of drives the show there's like patriotism and there's and there's sex appeal i mean let's i'll just yeah, call it what it is well, of course there is yeah right I've and and so the you know like trying to balance all that stuff to to get the audience they want and the audience they need maybe they don't always successfully walk the line yeah, and you can see it like it is interesting to me, like, you know, because, of course, I'm like, she's fighting crime in a bathing suit, you know, but I mean, that's like, that's like superhero, like super superhero women, at least of that 
era it's changing now you know but that was just the thing you know and it is sex appeal i mean she's got both of them both of them deborah winger and um linda carter are gorgeous right Mm -hmm. And so, but there were times when like I was, I'd be watching a scene where they're like, well, I guess I'm jumping ahead in the plot. Do you want me to jump ahead? We talk about jump wherever there's a scene, you know, there's like when they kidnap Drew, Mm -hmm. you know, and she's in her little bathing suit and they're chloroforming her. And there's like five dudes in suits standing over a chloroformed girl in a bathing suit. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. You know, but then it's fun when she throws them into the wall. Right, right. And in fact, I I wish when she threw John Saxon against the wall, he really should have been knocked out. And yeah. and it, but he just opened his eyes. He's like, "Okay, chloroformer or whatever." You know, he's like, "Yeah, no, I know." Well, that's the funny <laughs> part about it too is that like it is it was it was entertaining like to see them when they're fighting off the army and they're in these beautiful like goddess and or dance costumes mm-hmm. in the water just like flinging these men around which is which was pretty funny you know and you're like is this meant to be funny i mean it's funny i think it's meant to be it's meant to be both funny and also empowering in yeah. a way yeah, yeah. And, I, and i can see you know you can see it where like like you can see that line pretty clearly because you can see sort of like where she's taking charge and then like how she behaves with her cousin, not her cousin, her sister. How she how she behaves with Drew, mm-hmm. and how, or the other women, and then how she behaves like around the men. But you can see though a lot of that was it's set in the forties too. So I kind of understand that they're like following the rules of the time period too. And it's not always bad, you know. Like like right. Charlie's Angels and to an extent Bionic Woman uh, were like this, but especially Charlie's Angels. Like it was it was. <sighs> I think Kate Jackson, who was one of the driving people behind um, the development of Charlie's Angels, wanted it to be about female detectives, like a female detective agency. And uh, Aaron Spelling, the guy who produced it, wanted it to be Jiggle TV. I mean, like he coined that. I think he coined that phrase. I have never heard that phrase ever. It's terrible. But it's like terrible, yeah. But people threw that around in the 70s. Like that's the way they talked about these shows. Oof. And and it's yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. But but and and I don't I mean, I guess I would say Charlie's Angels somehow I mean, I don't know how you measure success, you know, like right. Charlie's Angels went on for uh I don't know, uh five to eight seasons. I actually I don't know, but I know they ran through several actors i think jacqueline smith is the only one that stayed the whole time anyway we're talking about Charlie anyway Sanders. no well, what, what is it say about the show what we were talking about for a minute is that like i do you can tell that they're walking that line between you know there are certain pieces of that show that you know were written for men by men and then there are certain pieces of that show that were written by men trying really hard to write for women yeah. 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 And yeah. and when we get to Paradise Island and the Calisthenics Festival, we that's one <laughs> of the times we fail. <laughs> um but speaking of writing, I did not I did not go back and uh usually I guess at the credits is the time to mention who wrote it. And here's so here's the interesting thing about this one. It the credits there's not a writer credit. There's a story by and it's two women. 
Okay. And then and then te- teleplay by uh, a guy. And, right. Yeah. And so and you're in movies. Maybe you know the distinction. Yeah. Between... That that basically like um, story means that those two women had input on the story, but mm-hmm. the guy is the one the teleplay. That is the script. So right. the script itself was written by the guy. But okay. the two women, it's essentially like they were in the writer's room with him, probably like they would they would say, hey, I think this would be a good idea. Let's do this. What about this? How about this? Mm-hmm. But then he's the one that went away and physically wrote the script. OK, so the people in question are Barbara Avedon and Barbara Corday. And I think they work together often because they have a lot of the same credits on IMDb. Um, the ones that jumped out at me were Fish. I don't know if you've probably never heard of Fish, uh, but it's a it's a spinoff from Barney Miller. Uh, I don't Fish know is... Barney Miller either. <laughs> okay, so Bar- Barney Miller is the precursor to um, Hill Street Blues. Do you know Hill Street okay. Blues? <laughs> By name only. <laughs> it's a cop show. It's a very successful cop show, but it's it's. It's a sitcom. It's done as a sitcom, but okay. it's actually a really good cop show. Um, but it's it's like, I mean, it's interesting theatrically because these um, multi-camera uh, sitcoms take place basically on one set. Mm-hmm. And, and they yeah, manage... so it's, it's like theater, essentially. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And they managed to do this cop show for several seasons um, on one set, just in wow. their in their little... Um, I forget what they call it, you know, but the the place where the cops are and they yeah, have the but... little holding cell upstage. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so everything could happen right there, you know, That's and anything crazy. they needed to happen off stage, uh, you, you could you know, you got information by phone and then yeah. the guys would bring in. So it was I mean, and, and in the beginning, it didn't do that. They didn't you know, they had other sets. But but after I think the first season, it all took place in the precinct house. Yeah. And, yeah. So anyway, that was an excellent show, and it was an ensemble cast, and, <laughs> and one of the cops was named Fish, and he was Abe Vigoda, and okay. he was a brilliant, funny guy. He was in The Godfather, super cool guy, and and his show was really good. And these women, uh, gotcha. Wrote well, one thing episodes. that you can you can see is that, like, you can tell that there was at least like female input into the show because they're not like the one thing that's kind of nice that I enjoyed about it was that Mm. they never talk about wonder woman's appearance like ever they only talk about they only talk about like the bulletproof bracelets and that she's dangerous and that she's really strong and that she's tall but they never Mm. like whoa check out the body on wonder woman which is really (laughs) nice you know like they like for for both of them like they kind of fawn over drew a little bit and how cute she is but i mean that's normal right but right, it's like right. but i just really i kind of noticed that i was like that's nice it's nice that they're never they're never like wowed by her beauty or talking about her body they're always talking about like her physical strength and stuff like that mm-hmm. um I did find it, you know, you talk about it because now I'm thinking about it when you were like, yeah, you know, they were trying to stretch that episode out. There were times where we shouldn't have stayed on somebody. They stay on her running too much because she looks silly when she runs, like if she runs for too far, right? Like Uh when she runs after the jet the second time when she grabs it and stops it, 
Yeah. He's just trucking it down the runway. And you're, <laughs> you're like, we're just going to sit here for a good 30 seconds and watch her <laughs> run down the runway. And they do it with Drew, too. Like, she's like, all right, I'm going to run up to the ranger station that's three miles away. <laughs> <laughs> you just see her, like, you know, that's, jogging up the hill. Just as a side note, I, I can't remember where I heard this or saw it, but um, one of her stunt doubles, she had... She had two stunt doubles that she that that were there frequently, uh, Jeannie Epper and Kitty O'Neill. And I think it was Jeannie Epper, but I could be wrong, said that she had a really unique running style and it was hard to emulate. And like yeah. she had she had to work on how to run like Linda Carter. It was it was almost as if, and this is a weird thing, and I wonder just like the time period and all that stuff if this played into it at all. But it's almost as if they said, run like the stereotype of a girl. Because she kind of like, kind of, she runs a little prissy, you know, okay. like she, she doesn't run like she means it, uh -huh. you know, like when she's running, she doesn't run like something's on fire and people are going to die. She almost jogs, you know, and it's kind of an interesting, I don't know. She just does something strange with her arms. And so it's like, it's, but can you blame her? Look at the boots. Like you can't really run in boots like right, that. Right. Yeah. So I that, think that's probably probably part of it. But it would just, you know, when she would run and they would stay on her for too long, it was kind of like it just kind yeah. of took like, away from the like this powerful Amazon. You're like, right. You're like, Girl, well, I hope you don't break an ankle. I I mean, you know, as an actor, for good or bad, sometimes the costume determines how you move. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Every time. <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah, you're beholden to a costume for and, sure. And this, yeah, this costume is not, it doesn't seem very forgiving. No, and I've been in, in like, I've done a lot of period dramas and stuff. And like, sometimes you're like, well, if I look like I'm sitting down very slowly, it's because I have 40 pounds of steel hanging off of my waist <laughs> to hold the dress out. And, uh -huh. you know, if, if I sit down too fast, I just go down like a ton of bricks, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I'm not really blaming her for running funny. It's just like, it's just, but I think it's just a thing. I think most people look kind of funny, look kind of goofy when they run, if you stay on them for too long. Well, I was going to say, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to insult her, but um, when, uh, when Deborah Winger's running in that, in that race sequence at the, uh, at Paradise <laughs> Island, she looks a little strange. I mean, yeah. she's winning. So good for her. How, whatever yeah. form you need to win. But but she looked she she was probably I, I feel having... like unless I feel like unless you're watching an Olympic runner or someone who runs track like as a sport, unless you're watching one of those people run, mm -hmm. it's very clear that this is an actor that was told to run and yeah. not someone who runs like understands the sport of running and runs like an athlete, you know? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um now we we were talking about the the writers and i just want to mention cuz i didn't mention his name the guy who wrote the teleplay is jimmy sangster and most of his credits start um with the hammer studios you know like do you know old uh, like hammer uh, uh horror films yeah. hammer hammer is a studio in england that that mostly produced uh i believe it's mostly they at, at least they're famous for it um, a lot of the Peter Cushing uh, 
uh, like Dracula movies and oh, okay. like if if you see a movie about Dracula in color and there's groovy 60s music it probably came from <laughs> Hammer. Yeah. So, yeah. Um Which, so yeah. It makes some sense cuz there's a lot of groovy there's a lot of like unusual groovy music at weird times and in, in this episode too. Well, I'll tell you part of that. <laughs> uh you may not be aware but there is some weird like they have theme music for the airplane and every time they show that airplane they play this weird smooth jazz yeah and, and nobody linda carter doesn't know why nobody knows why except somebody who put together somebody this... <laughs> thought that airplane was sexy and decided to play some smooth jazz but there's also like when she's coming home to her apartment before we realize that Drew is in there and she thinks there's an intruder uh-huh. and she's coming home with her like, like very skinny bag of groceries that has maybe one stalk of celery in it. She, <laughs> you know, she's, she's, she, it's like that smooth jazz is there again. And we're like, Oh, is it date night with Steve? Okay. you like, you think it's kind of related to that. And then it weirdly transitions into this like mystery music because there's a we think somebody's in the house but when she's in the hallway but it was like such a weird change and i was like what is going on (laughs) my favorite though you talking about like favorite lines one of my favorite lines is etta good old etta yeah um when they're talking and she's like oh please can i come to dinner and wonder woman's like no and she's like (laughs) and she's like no one ever takes me out to dinner. And she's like, well, I'll take you out to dinner. And she's like, well, you're not a man. And she says something like, like, well, I'm pretty happy about that. Or I wrote it down because I thought it was really funny. She says, um, oh yeah. She says, Edda says, well, you're not a man. And, and, and uh, Diana just says, I've always been very happy about that. (laughs) I just thought that was great. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's a great line. Um, so uh, one more thing about music. I don't know if you know noticed, but um, when the when the plane is revealed, they play what sounds like the theme from uh, two thousand and one, a space odyssey. You know the ba ba ba, but but they change the notes slightly, so it's not the same song. assume because they just didn't want to pay for the rights to it or maybe they couldn't afford maybe they wanted it but couldn't afford the rights to it i don't know either way it it's definitely a sound alike but it's not the same music my other my other favorite thing that's just it's so campy and kind of glorious is when they show her in the invisible jet from far away it is very obviously an inflatable toy with a barbie in it (laughs) yes yeah and this time and normally people get used to seeing that who who've watched the show a lot but this time there's two barbies in there because yeah. because she's withdrew yeah. um and, she is, and is linda carter really that tall or did they put her on apple boxes to make her taller so that drew would look smaller she's really that tall okay because I, I was I, curious about i mean she's she's I know she's really tall and like in the pilot she had to um like when she was talking to her mother who was played uh 
by Cloris Leachman in the pilot. Oh, that's who that is. She looked familiar, and I couldn't figure out who she was. Well, she's no um the the one in this uh in in oh, this show. Oh, different lady. Yeah, it's but the reason she looks familiar is because she's um Morticia Adams. Oh, oh um, what? She, wow. Okay. She's, so they just um, made her look completely different. Yeah, and for some reason, her name is escaping. Carolyn Jones. Okay. Uh, so huh. yeah. She's Carolyn Jones in this one, but but um anyway, um when um I keep wanting to call her Phyllis, uh Cloris Leachman uh played her in the pilot. Cloris Leachman's very short, and so she did stand on Apple boxes yeah. when she was doing scenes with uh with Linda Carter. Yeah, I just looked it up and Linda Car- Carter is five nine. So when she's in those boots, she's probably like five, you know, yeah, almost six feet tall. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if Drew got boots. When she changed into her magic costume, I don't. She did get, but she did have boots. She had. She she, I, why do I remember this? Who knows? She had. <laughs> she had red boots with no stripe, and Wonder Woman has red boots with a white stripe. Wow! If John Saxon paid more attention, he'd know that that wasn't Wonder Woman, right? Well, well, the costume is completely different too. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> they because because she's a teenager, she has straps. Right. You know, <laughs> right. um, but I also and you might know the answer to this, but I wondered this. I was like, why? Why does she transform into a human American flag? You know, like, why is her costume that? That is a really good question, because and I I, I honestly don't know, because in the pilot, um, her costume is made for her. Right. Like like um, her her mother specifically makes the costume and she says that she makes it she makes it uh, the colors that that will reflect or represent freedom. She's I mean, she's saying without saying that yeah. it's the American flag. Right. Right. And and because that's, you know, in the comic book, that's how it was designed. Right, but yeah. but there's no like Drew never had her costume made for her. Right. It just magically appears. It appeared. Yeah. And they, it's just one of those things, I guess they just don't have to explain, you know? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, it's <laughs> well, you kind of think about like, um, even though they're, you know, Captain America makes sense because he's Captain America, you know? And I guess it right. makes sense because she's sending her to, to America, right. right? That she would put her in that kind of, <clears throat> kind of an outfit. But it's, it's always funny to me because it's like, Let's put you in the most conspicuous thing we can find. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I have my own, like in my imagination, I have my own like sort of headcanon about how her costume appears, how the spin works, and like why, you know, when she has a purse and does the spin, the purse goes away. But then when she yeah. does the spin again, it comes back, like when she right, changes yeah. back. And it's because I'll just tell I'll just tell you there there is there is a, a pocket dimension like a, that it goes into exactly. There's like a different yeah. dimension with a little changing room, and so yeah. she puts her clothes there, gets the new clothes, and you know it's a different time dimension, so no time passes. Right. Yeah. When she changes, and then she comes back, and and it's, stops it's the, the spin. only thing. It's the only thing that makes sense. Well, and it's it's still funny to me. It will always be funny to me. It's funny to me with Clark Kent. It's funny to me. It's that like, how stupid is Steve Trevor? <laughs> you know, like... especially in this episode, you have them both together. Like he sees, he sees Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl, or I guess that's her name. 
I don't know if they name her out loud. They don't name her in this episode. Not in this one, no. I mean, I think they, yeah, they give her the credit. At least in the IMDb, it says Wonder Girl. Yeah, they don't. They only call her Drew in the episode. And they don't call her. They don't call her anything in this episode yet because this was like when she was still pretending to be Wonder Woman. Right, right, right. So they don't call her. They don't give her the moniker yet. But yeah. Okay. But it is. It is funny to me that like they're both like everyone's mystified and they're like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> these yeah, two like strange the- women. Yeah, like the guy, the guy who I haven't even mentioned yet, but the guy who fixes the plane, who winds up in the cell with her, he's like, you know, she reminds me of this teenager that had a crush on me, and maybe, maybe my masculine wiles will work. Yes, on her no, too. that was the other line that I was like, <laughs> if I had been drinking something, I would spit it out because it's Radel says to him, he goes, oh, so you think your masculine charms will work on her? And he's like, and I'm like, masculine charms. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> He's like, I'm an, I am, I'm a fully grown adult man, and I'm gonna go charm the pants off that teenager. And you're like, okay. <laughs> oh, Peter. So, so Peter Knight is played by Charles Frank, uh, and he's, I guess, he's known for being oh, in the froze. right stuff. What's that? Oh, you froze. You're unfrozen now. Oh, oh, it's now it's telling me my in- internet connection is unstable. That's a That's bummer. I like to yell back. I'm not unstable. You are. <laughs> Peter Knight is played by Charles Frank, who's known for the right stuff. He's also been in two episodes of MASH. Oh, and in one of them, in one of them, he was a pilot. And I won't go this time. I won't go into some weird story about MASH. Uh, <laughs> but but I do remember him from MASH. I have one more story from MASH that I'll get to later if we ever get to it. I don't know. We're, um, let me just try to quickly talk through this plot. So they have this plane, right, that they're excited about. I think that's where I actually left off in my notes. Uh, but anyway, that's where that's where Peter Knight appears. I'm so bad at reading my own notes. Well, you know, I feel like the plot across the two episodes is pretty mm-hmm. simple. And then you're right. They really stretched it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I'm just gonna let go of my notes because it's more mm. fun to jump around. I, yeah. I'm I'm really as an actor, I should be better at reading while I'm talking, but I cannot do it. But like, you know, it, I don't I don't think so though, because we're not used to doing that. We memorize our lines yeah. and then we're used to being in the moment with the other person. That's true. So that's you know, and also I I am very I have ADHD, right? So you know, and I'm sure you do too. I, I do. Just, I I so, have it bad sometimes. So if you put the two of us together, we're gonna have 17 conversations <laughs> in one. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, but but yeah, but like the basic, like to me, the basic thing was, you know, like, oh no, Nazis, and then they want the bra- the fact that the bracelets are made out of feminine. Oh god, can I say this? Feminine, femininium. Fem- f- you're I, you're overcomplicating it. You're you're. Your word is more interesting than theirs. They just call it feminum. <laughs> Believe it or not. It's yeah. I know. I, I I like yours better though. What is it? Femininium? Uh, femininium. <laughs> it sounds more like well, because when they first said it on the show, when they're talking about the bracelets, mm-hmm. and they're like, I thought they were like, it's their feminine bracelets. And I was like, you did not just say feminine bracelets. <laughs> 
and then and then I realized they were saying femium or whatever they're whatever they're saying, right. you know, and like then we get to the island and the like, how are we going to defeat them? Let's pretend to have a fight, a girl fight in the water. And right. Then we'll... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, there there is a little bit of overcomplication. Like, where is Drew and Drew and 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 Linda Carter? Diana keep crossing paths you know like sort of almost unnecessarily Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah um, she also doesn't seem very concerned about the fact that Drew is missing that was the other thing is that whenever that she's like Steve's like well maybe you should go look for her and she's like I'm sure she's fine (laughs) she's a 15 year old in Washington DC what could go wrong Jim are you all right just feeling a little foolish what do they want with you I don't know they didn't even try to get any information out of me. Where's Drusilla? I'm sure she's all right. They weren't interested in her. The last I saw of her, she was safe with the side of the road. Where could she have gone? She's most surely back at the apartment, Diana. It's just really funny because nobody ever seems overly worried that yeah. she's missing. And especially that she's missing for like a couple of days. Yeah. And she's like, no, no, I'll just stay here and keep doing my work and... <laughs> It's fine. I just thought it was really funny. Even her mother, like when she goes back to Paradise Island and she's like, I don't know where Drew is. Her mom's like, oh, <laughs> that's troubling. Yes. You know, like like it's almost like there's no sense of there's like a sense of urgency that's missing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like when you talk about like as actors, when you're like, don't you can't you you can't you know everything because you read the script. Right. But when you're in a moment, like in that scene, you she's playing it. It almost feels like she's the actor is like not making it as urgent because she knows. She knows the ending. She the knows the ending. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but I think it's just the style of the show, too, because if you notice, nobody really, truly panics ever. No. Like well, everything is very chill. Yeah. Maybe it's because <laughs> it was the 70s. <laughs> yes. Well, I I think I do think that Wonder Woman has a weird tendency to um well it's not weird but it's it's it is one of her characteristics. It's weird that other characters are taking it on, but Wonder Woman is always very confident and calm. Like in yeah. in all the episodes, like she she seems to always sort of be on top of things and when she's in danger she doesn't really seem like she's worried about it. Like yeah, that's a common yeah. thing for her, but it is weird that like her mother is that way when her well, daughter's and, missing. Well, and also like all the men in the army were just kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay. like General Blankenship. Like he didn't really. <laughs> I don't know that he knew that she was okay. Like he just got hustled into that car. Like anything could have happened to her after that. Like, and he's right. like, I'm sure she's fine. She was left in that car by herself. She was left in that car by herself. What could possibly have happened? (laughs) And then he was tied, tied in that closet with like a rope that he probably could have snapped in half if he tried hard enough. Very true. You know, that's, that's what's funny to me too, is that like nobody ever really looks like they're in, in, or or when he's like, get in the car, I've got a gun on you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like a military general, you know, you would think that they would... But I mean, it's it's sort of like it felt it feels very much like these things happen for the plot and we move the plot along quickly so that we can see people do cool things. Yeah. 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 I, some of the stuff, it does feel like on the page, it seemed really cool. And maybe 
the execution didn't quite go as planned. Yeah, there was something at the end that I just did not understand that I saw and I was like, how did this make sense? Was it Wonder Woman stopping the plane by by spinning it around? Well, that that was weird on its own. Like I was like, (laughs) I was like, I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) I thought she was going to like jump on the plane and climb in the window or something. Right. That's that's what I that would make sense. But I but I that's one of the things I feel like. You know, if you have it in on the page, like like Wonder Woman grabs a, a one wing and spins the plane around, disorienting the guy or whatever. Yeah. Like that might look cool if I guess if it looked like she really had the plane, but it kind of looked like the plane had her. And some of it was the way that it was filmed, because I've noticed like the way that things are shot has changed a lot, too. Like if you watch TV now. Mm-hmm. You would never just have that like long wide shot of her spinning the plane in circles. You mm-hmm. would have had a close up of her like really struggling with the wing. You might have had some B roll. You they would have there would have been more cuts. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, like the, to make because like the pacing of the show su- the suffers a little because they don't have enough cuts. You know, it's more mm-hmm. like more like theater in a way, you mm-hmm. know, and they're being less like now I feel like cinematography and stuff really has become like just as much of a storyteller as the director. Right. Or as the actors, right. That like we cinematography has now become, I don't want to say manipulative, but it's very much like it's just more in, involved. Mm-hmm. The, the shots are more dynamic. And right. at this point in, like tv history it was very it seemed to be very much like wide shot two shot close up close up you know and and there were times where they lingered on things for too long like her running down the runway to get to the plane you know like in like where you might have cut back to people's reactions or something like that and now she's at the plane and she's grabbed the plane but we were just like nope there she goes she's running oh she's gonna spin it in circles (laughs) yeah we are but no it was the end where it was the end where like they're threatening to kill her mom Oh, yeah. And and she takes off one bracelet and she throws it at her mom and her mom catches the bracelet and just holds the bracelet up. And the guy is there with the gun and she's like, what are you going to do now? And I was like, and then he's like, oh, foiled. Yes, it was. It was. uh, It did seem like a disappointing end to like I, I actually got swept up in the entire like the entire scheme that that Wonder Woman had when, you know, Drew shows up and, you know, they're all enslaved. Right. And they're mining for him. And so they hatch this plan to get the bracelets and it seems to work until, you know, you realize nobody thought to figure out where Radel is. And because the the one threat that they had was Radel's going to kill the mom, right. the queen if they don't obey right and so nobody thought to incapacitate him right <laughs> so so that was that's a flaw in the plan for sure but anyway i was kind of swept up in how the whole thing was working and then that last moment where she th- which and and i think it's the way carolyn jones holds up the bracelet <laughs> like hold it funny like if they would have done a like a little kind of a you know weird magical thing where when wonder woman threw it Carolyn Jones like put her wrist up and the bracelet attached to her wrist. Yeah. Then she would have had him, you know, like it would have been, it would have more felt like, like she could have defended herself. And the truth is she could probably defend herself by holding it 
in the weird way that she did, because if he fired at her, she could probably right. deflect a bullet Just... with it. But it looks like she's barely got a hold of the thing. Yeah. Like, like she's just kind of holding it out in front of her. Like, I'm not sure what to do with this, but yeah, I've got you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was kind of why I was like, I, I was like, uh, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. And maybe, you know, maybe on the page, that's what, maybe it did magically get on her wrist, but they couldn't figure out how to do it. Yeah. I don't know. Well, some of it was like, when you see the bracelet too, you see it's open in the back and it just really looks like a prop. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, it, like some of it was just, they didn't really think through maybe what it would look like in a close up. Yeah. I, I feel like they had a lot of different forms of bracelets, like the bracelets they use for actually deflecting bullets, you know, have charges in them. Like the, you know, they talked in the pilot about how they worked and you, you actually operated them yourself when you had oh, a bracelet okay. on. So they had like, so that was one kind of bracelet. And then there's the bracelets like, you know, like, that she was holding that that's kind of stiff and uh, it's, you know, kind of yeah. not very flexible. And then I think they had costume bracelets that they wore mm -hmm. that were more like a shiny fabric than, than hard material. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think for. Well, and I also realize that like, we're looking back at this, like I, especially me, I'm looking back at this through the lens of, having seen Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, which is like hyper realistic and and right. much more just much more realistic, I mm -hmm. guess, you know, and yeah. that like I'm trying to remember that this is probably around the same time frame as like Adam West's Batman. Um it's I know I think it's just a few years later. It's um but like it's still eight, that eight sort years of, later. Okay. But it's still kind of but to in my mind it lives in that sort of that style of Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, because it's I mean, a lot of the people that were involved in creating Wonder Woman were, you know, came from uh, Batman. Like, yeah, literally, they were the same people. And to me, like, that has its own charm, you know, like part of the reason the show is so good is because some of it's so bad. Right, 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 right. And and uh, it does evolve. And, and change a little bit, but it's, yeah, it's in sure. that space right now where it's, there's a lot of camp and there's a lot of, there's, Laura calls it kind of Ed Wood, you know, where, you know, they, they sort of mm -hmm. shoot something and they're like, well, that didn't quite work. And the director's like, no, no, it's fine. Let's, let's move on. Yeah, right, It's <laughs> fine. Just keep going. Yeah. yeah. So, cause, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's built for, uh, you know, these really tiny TVs that people had that didn't That's have true. great resolution. And so. And also I imagine too, like, I was just thinking, and I don't, I don't know, but was she like the first female superhero that like little girls and, and women could be like, heck, heck yeah, there's, a, there's I, a girl out there doing stuff. I believe she was, I mean, you know, there were, ex there were like, you know, uh, uh, Batgirl was on Batman, but she was a guest right. star really. Um, she's, she's the first one I believe that had her own show. Like that was headlining yeah. and you saw her every week. And um, I feel like that's got to be pretty important, you know, yeah. like just that the fact that the show is called Wonder Woman and it's a female superhero. She's not a sidekick. She's not a guest star. She's not a love interest. You know, yeah. she's the main character. I feel like that by itself was pretty progressive. Yeah. You know, and being being either a, 
I guess being any age woman at that time would have been exciting to see that kind of representation on TV. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So can you do one more zoom? Yeah. And we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about the stuff that you do. Okay. Uh, Cause I think we've, I mean, I think we've covered most that's pretty of pretty much. Yeah. That's pretty much the episode. You know, it was yeah. really, it really felt like it was the, it really felt like it was two episodes to introduce Drew, which is kind of, which is kind of funny knowing that, Deborah Winger then was like, eh. yeah, I think, I mean, I have a theory myself that it's, it's two episodes. Like there's that, there's the, the jet pilot plot and there's the femium plot. Yeah. 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 And, and they wanted to introduce Drew. So they're like, let's take these two stories and make a two hour. Yeah. We'll just smush them together. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they seem, yeah. they seem even though they did a good job intertwining them, they seem like they could both exist as separate stories. Oh, they totally could. Yeah, yeah. they totally could. So, but there's there's one more thing I want to say about the uh, about the show, about the cast, uh, before we, uh, you know, continue our ADHD journey to wherever. But, <laughs> but, um, but because, and you can just tune me out because I've made a commitment. Is it Mash time? It's all about Mash. I'm gonna eat some chocolate. You talk about match. Um, just uh, two things. So there's there's this uh, teenager called Tommy. He's one of the people that that hits on Drew, and he had a he had like a one line guest spot on Mash where he hits on Margaret Houlihan in much the same way, except he's had a head wound and he's lying in a bed. But <laughs> but also, and this is I I feel like I could have a scoop here because. Uh, IMDB tells me nothing. And there is an MP late in the episode when Drew shows up on the uh, the base and an MP stops her. Like this, these two MPs pull up in a Jeep. Yeah. One of them talks to her. And I swear he is a guy that has, he's got like seven bit parts on MASH. He keeps showing up because he's a <laughs> super tall, like a, a big guy. You know, he's he's beefy and strong, and he's got this really distinctive voice that has a little bit of a southern twang to it. Gloria, how'd you get in here? I'm, uh, I'm Major Trevor's niece. Get in, I'll take it to see Major Trevor. Major Trevor should keep better tab on this roster. Let's go, get in. I swear, it's, and the guy's name is James Carroll, although he did most of his uh, career as James Lau, or is it Lau? I don't, L. L-O-U-G-H. I don't know how to pronounce it. That's but probably Lau. Probably Lau. Um, like Plow. Right. Exactly. So so James Carroll or James Lau, I believe, is this MP. <laughs> but he's not credited on the episode. He's not credited right. on IMDb. And I tried to look it up. It turns out that his IMDb has, he ha- has a reel on there. And it's got his agent's email at the end. So I wrote his agent. Oh, my gosh. Now, at press time, I haven't heard back yet. But uh, probably because you're like, who is this lunatic in North Carolina that is obsessed with my client? I'm like, listen, (laughs) man, in 1976, you did a guest spot on uh, Wonder Woman. You know, well, you know, I think um, IMDb was not around in the 70s. Right. Right. So I think that there are times when you have older shows like that where certain credits just don't make it up there especially if it was something tiny like that where he's just essentially just like a little day player where he just like all right it was tv so he'd be a co-star but 
where he just has that little like one or two lines about all right get in well also can we just talk about how rough they were with her when she was like (laughs) i'm you know and so and so's nephew and they're like oh they're just let anybody wander around here get in and they kind of like shove her in the jeep to take her yeah with them which i thought was kind of funny now well let me ask you this because you you've done you know so much work with uh movies so like he's got a line but he didn't get a credit and i thought like that like just having a line puts you on a different level it yeah puts it does. You on a different pay yeah. level yeah it does but but don't you also get a, a credit you're supposed to yeah oh. i mean there have been there have been times like uh one of the so i guess it just depends on like what was going on with the unions and all that stuff at the time but you're you're supposed to so technically if it's a television show and you have a line you're considered a co-star like a co-star even though it sounds like it's the top of the ladder is really the bottom of the ladder mm-hmm. because it kind of goes co-star and then you have like you have like co-star guest star recurring you know and you have all kinds of things like special guest star and things like that. But I mean, like mm-hmm. the bare bones of it is usually like co-star guest star recurring series regular. Right. So he would have had a co-star role. He would have been like, you know, MP number two, uh-huh. right? right. <laughs> Who had like those two lines and he should have been credited, but there are times I have one of my first films that I ever did was with, we talked about officer and, and a gentleman earlier. It was not that movie. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think I was alive yet, but no, no, no. it was, um, it was a Nicholas Sparks movie called Knights in Rodanthe that starred Richard Gere and Diane Lane. Oh. And um, I had my character's name was Girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and I had I had one line. Um, the line originally was, wow, your mom's looking pretty hot these days, which <laughs> then got changed to, wow, your mom's looking pretty good these days, because obviously it sounded like I was hitting on her mom. Right. Um I played the friend of Diane Lane's daughter and Diane Lane has been like depressed for a long time. And then she's met Richard Gere and they're having this romance and she's like reading a letter and she's all happy. And so that's why I'm saying, wow, your mom's looking pretty, pretty good. But it was originally written as hot and we had Uh to change it because it looked like I was hitting on her mom. (laughs) But that being said, like when the film came out, I didn't get credited on TV and I thought, oh, well, I just, you know, they probably cut my scene. Uh-huh. And then my aunt was like, oh, my gosh, I saw the movie and you were great. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so I got I got I got a copy of it and watched it. And sure enough, you know, they didn't cut my scene. And so I had to contact the union, sag mm-hmm. and have them contact Warner Brothers <laughs> and say, hey, <laughs> you know, and they actually came back initially and said, oh, we cut that scene. And it's, but it was in the DVD. And so mm-hmm. it was just like one person not talking to another person. You know, yeah. so if you look at my IMDb, it says uncredited next to next to the thing uh-huh. uh, next to my next to my name. Um, but that was a mistake on their part because they also James Franco was in that movie as well. He played Richard Gere's son and they didn't credit him either. So wow. somebody just like fell asleep in the editing. <laughs> I don't know. So sometimes it does happen that you don't that like something gets missed right Mm. especially like for me i kind of get it right like i had one or two lines but like james franco i was like how did you how did you miss crediting him (laughs) yeah (laughs) so sometimes that just happens you know yeah all right well so that's a good segue so so let's talk let's talk about your film career let's start there let's just start with that okay so like how uh, i mean tell it however you want but i'm kind of interested in 
you know, like, like I said, you know, like we said, I knew you when you were doing theater. And so how did you get from there to, to movies? Yeah, that's a, that's a, what a great question, Stan. Thanks for asking. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, it kind of, you know, I started doing like right out of, right out of, um, school I start I did a show with um actor theater in Charlotte called Betty's Summer Vacation which is a wacko Christopher Durang show and um and I felt pretty pretty lucky that right out of you know like right out of school I got this this show and I was like all right you know and then I ended up getting um getting an agent and that's kind of how I got into film truthfully is getting an it was it was kind of equal parts like getting an agent and then also sort of hustling on my own, like paying attention to, you know, there's certain like actor websites and things like that, that you can pay attention to for like indie film casting calls and stuff like that. I would say like, well, around the time we were doing Goddess and the Magdalene, I was doing um, an independent period piece called Wesley up in Winston-Salem. Cause I used to have to come from like there to come to rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember yeah, that. And back and forth. And, and so that was, um, I feel like around then was when I re- that really started picking up. Like that was my first, even though it was an indie film, I was playing the romantic lead. So it was like my first really big role in a full, um, in a full film. And film is so interesting compared to theater just process wise, you know, because you film it out of order and you, you know, you don't just start and keep going, you know, you start, it's start, start and stop and it's out of order. And, and sometimes you don't meet the people that you're working with until the moment you're working with them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then I just, you know, I was out in LA for a little while and then um, I came back, came back here for a while. Then I just started working and I was like, well, <laughs> I guess I'm going to, and I've had, you know, I've had some really interesting opportunities uh being back here i actually got to work with ron howard a couple of years ago wow incredible i was in hillbilly elegy but my character got cut oh no (laughs) yeah um poor audrey yeah you know but uh what what was really kind of cool about that is that one working with ron howard like holy cow right you know and just silently willing him to put me in willow you know (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, I played like it, it, the movie is about kind of a fish out of water. He's a guy that comes from, you know, App- Appalachia with nothing. And he goes and becomes a lawyer and he goes off to law school and whatever. So I, I played one of his friends at law school initially. And so I got to spend, you know, so, so we had a rehearsal day, which is like unheard of. But it was, you know, Netflix and Ron Howard. So they have the money to have a rehearsal day. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so we had a whole rehearsal day. He rented out a theater and showed us all his Pavarotti documentary, oh, wow. which was super <laughs> cool. So I was like sitting there watching, like getting sitting in the theater and like Glenn Close walks in front of me with like ice cream, you know, and you're like, <laughs> that's Glenn Close. You know, you're like, oh, don't freak out, you know. But we, it was what was really great about him is being directed by someone who's been an actor is there's like nothing like it because they know they know how to talk to you. Yeah. You know, they know what to say to you. But I thought what was so classy about him was that he wrote me an email himself, like a personal email to me to tell me that they had cut my scene and to oh. tell me why they had cut my scene. And that had nothing to do with me as an actor and all of that. And I just thought he didn't have to do that. Wow. You know, cause it turns out what they wanted to do. I realized this when I watched the film is that they wanted to make him seem more alone and more isolated so they cut his entire friend group 
at school right. pretty right. much and we filmed some stuff wow. and um but i just thought it was like i was like worth it i got an email from ron howard telling me that i'm great <laughs> you know like that is cool it's it's sort of an interesting thing you know film, film is weird because you you like go do the thing and you have mm. no idea what's going to happen to it after that because it's completely your performance is in the hand in the hands of the editor essentially yeah yeah which is really interesting um just to just to interject i i mean Part of the interesting thing about Wonder Woman is is looking at it from an actor's point of view because and especially you know with this episode because both Linda Carter and Deborah Winger for both of them this was their first gig on well technically not Linda Carter's first gig it's her first starring role and she did a movie along with this so like mm. the movie she did the movie first and then this came out and then the movie came out and the same thing happened to Deborah Winger she had this was her first gig and she had done a movie and then the movie came out and in both cases the movies i don't think they're proud of those movies <laughs> yeah like they're 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 a little bit i don't want to say sleazy but yeah they're you know it was a it was a good first job to get right. and and for both of them, unfortunately, I don't want to say unfortunately, I don't want to put any judgment on it at all, but there was nudity involved. And I think for right. both of them, that was something they chose not to do after the fact, which mm -hmm. makes me think it's something they felt like they had to do. Probably. I mean, that's a, that's a whole like conversation on its own. Like yeah. I, um, <clears throat> for, for a good while, I taught and coached actors regularly and would do industry con consultations and things like that and I'm fortunate enough now that I'm you know I work as a writer producer actor director now and and I I coach kind of here and there but not like full-time like I used to but that's one of the things that I used to talk about especially with young women in the industry was just like how to say no that it's okay to say no that, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing, because I think especially, especially back then, you know, I feel like the pressure had to be, the pressure had to be immense without the support that we have now, mm -hmm. you know? So I yeah. think that doesn't surprise me. Wow. So in addition to, I mean, I don't want to leave this acting discussion because like I saw, oh my God, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, the uh, Magic Mike. Oh yeah, Magic Mike Double XL. Yeah. yeah. So you were in that. <laughs> yeah. And I it's I mean, it's a it's a great feeling when somebody you know walks on camera and you're like, oh my God, I know that person. And Aww. she's in this movie. So, but there I know there are other parts that you've played, like, but this part in particular, I know that you, you know, you got to work with Andy McDowell and yeah. and kind of I don't know if you got close to her, but you know, you you developed a relationship with her, which mm -hmm. I I think is wonderful. She's uh, amazing. She's super. She's super sweet, and she's. I've actually worked with her twice now, and she's really, oh, wow. really wonderful. Um, on in Magic Mike Double XL, she plays my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and funnily enough, like when I auditioned for that, I had no idea that she was going to be playing my mom. Um, I didn't really know anything because the thing about film auditions that's tough is like when you audition for a theater play, you like if you're auditioning for Romeo and Juliet, you can just go read it, yeah. you know. Um, but with a film, when it's brand new like that, they oftentimes will not they most of the time will not give you the entire script. 
So when I did my audition for Magic for Magic Mike Double XL, I had I I auditioned with one scene. I had no idea that Megan was in as much of the movie as my character Megan was in as much of the movie as she was. Um, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like one scene. I knew what the, that it was Magic Mike Double XL, but I was like, okay, she's Tito's girlfriend, and there's this, and this is the scene that I've been given to audition with. But weirdly, I curled my hair that day for the audition <laughs> because they said like, oh, you know, she's just like a Southern girl that likes to have a good time. And I was like, okay, well, I'll curl my hair. It feels like I should curl my hair. I'm going to curl my hair. <laughs> you know, not knowing that Andy McDowell was, um, was the one who was going to play my mom, which was kind of funny. And I, uh, when I walked into the audition, it was an in-person audition, which if there are any actors listening, they'll pause for a gasp because we don't do this very often anymore. But yeah. it was, um, it was an in-person audition and um, Chad, the casting director, who has since become a good friend of mine, um, <clears throat> when he walked in, when I walked in, he said, you look kind of familiar. And I, and I laughed and I said, well, I was your waitress two years ago. <laughs> because the restaurant that I used to work in was next to one of the theaters with the film festival. And so I used to always work like the VIP lounge at the restaurant during the film festival because you know, duh, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was just really funny. And we we did the audition, and he said, he said, he said, he said, girl, he said, you nailed it, dead. Let's just do it again. And he said, the good news for you is they hate everyone they've seen in New York and L.A. Wow. And I was like, okay, that's good <laughs> because well, oftentimes in the southeast, what we run into a lot is they'll cast the bigger roles from New York and L.A. And so it was really a big deal. For for me that they chose me right that they chose an actor that was essentially we filmed in savannah mostly mm -hmm. um that they chose a a local actor for that role but Annie, Annie mcdowell was great i remember when i met her she gave me a big hug and she said you look more you look more like one of my kids than my kids or something funny <laughs> you know it was something where she really does look like she could be my mom and, and she was She's just so sweet. You know, she's really cool and down to earth. And um, I had a brief moment in a Hallmark movie. Most of the scenes got cut, but I played a younger version of her in a Hallmark movie called The Beach House. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, That they ended up, I guess, for time or whatever. Like, I had scenes with dialogue. It's flashbacks to her with, like, her first summer love. Mm -hmm. And I had scenes with dialogue and everything, but they reduced it to just me and the guy, like basically like frolicking on the beach in the distance. Like, well, but you know, I got to see her again and, and stuff like that. So yeah, she's, she's a lovely human. Awesome. Awesome. Now. Um, so one thing that we normally talk with, with cosplayers on this show is this show it's a podcast it's not a show <laughs> um so we talk about um you know some of the things that that um that cosplayers get to do sound like kind of the same things that you got to do when you were playing characters and mm -hmm. that's work with kids yeah and and also i in i know that you have taught kids like you've taught yeah. acting to kids mm -hmm. so talk about some of that yeah, like I would say it was a really sort of special time in my life. Doing a lot of people will look at children's performers and kind of like the same way they look at like wedding singers, you know, and things like that, where they'll be like, oh, well, clearly, you know, it's a lesser than sort of a thing. And it really still kind of makes me a little bit like about it because it actually you, know, you think about it and you've got this kid, right? And maybe it's their 
sixth birthday, they're only going to have one sixth birthday, right? And if they really look up to Wonder Woman and they think Wonder Woman took time out of her day fighting crime to come see them, that's going to impact them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. You know, and we did like, so one thing that I would do like sort of as my general routine, right. Is I would, I would come to the party, but we would, I would run the whole party. Right. We would do like, um, I would read them a story at a wonder woman storybook that I would read them where I learned that apparently she can talk to animals. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Why is this never (laughs) in anything I've seen? I was It is in upcoming episodes. If you if you if you want to keep watching Wonder Woman, in yeah, fact, there's... in a, in a few episodes, she's gonna run into a gorilla called Gargantua. Oh, and uh, um, okay. she, she tries to talk to him, but he's an evil gorilla, or he's been <laughs> he's been programmed to be evil. Uh, it's oh. very complicated, Carrie Ann. Yeah, it's very it compli- sounds very complicated. <laughs> but yeah, so but you know, I learned. But so I would do a little storybook about about her. You know about how. Her secret identity was Diana Prince and all this kind of stuff. There was one time at a party when I was leaving because they would always ask where the jet was and I'd have to be like, well, it's invisible. And, you know, I got to be kind of discreet about it. I can't just have it land in your yard. There's no space, you know, and they'd be like, oh, OK, because as long as you could answer them, they were cool. Right. right. But there was one kid. I remember this. It was so perfect. A jet flew overhead. You couldn't see it, but you could hear it. You could hear the like go overhead. And it was yeah. right when I was leaving. I was like, oh, there's my ride. I gotta go, you know, and it was just like perfect timing. But I used to do, I would read them a story and then we would do, I would give them kind of this like pep talk about what it means to be a superhero. And it was a really good vehicle to talk about being brave, telling the truth, being kind, you know, um, using, if I was a print, if I was doing a Disney princess, it would be kindness as magic. If I was doing a, you know, super, if I was a superhero, you know, kind, kindness as your superpower, right? Like, but it was a really good vehicle to talk to these young kids about, and Wonder Woman is a great example of like, cause she has the lasso of truth and things like that, right? Like of talking about how valuable the truth is, what it's like to be brave, even when you're scared you know, and what it's like to be kind to people in a world that's not always kind to you, you Uh know, and we would talk and I would teach them some like kicks and punches, but we'd always have the like, this is for self-defense. We don't use this on friends or family. This is only for bad guys, you know, and I'd make them like take this like little oath that they wouldn't like beat up their friends, you know, and I'd, I'd teach them a couple of kicks and punches and we'd do like spins and stuff and then we just play games and mm-hmm. and things like that but I mean there was one time that I got asked to be Wonder Woman for an adult and she was in the hospital and I can't remember why anymore but she was not doing well and she was in the hospital and she was just Wonder Woman meant a lot to her and they asked if I would come surprise her at the hospital as Wonder Woman she couldn't talk very well you know, but I remember going in and I remember her face and she just, you know, and she just started crying, but she was happy, you know, and I just sat and hung out with her. And that was, you know, sort of the magic of like, they know you're not really Wonder Woman, but then, it, but it's, it's like this moment of suspended reality yeah. where, you know, they get to have this experience. And, and that was what meant the most to me. You know, was whether it was with a little kid or whether it was because I did, you know, I would get hired to do like birthday parties and things. But we also did corporate events. We did charity things. We'd go to the children's hospital, you know, which was always challenging because 
they're so sweet and so brave and they don't even know it, you know, and you go in yeah. and you play with them and you go cry in your car, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, I mean, that I would say was the most meaningful thing to me was the amount of joy that I was able to bring to them through the guise of Wonder Woman. And it was always entertaining too, because like the parents would be excited too half the time, you yeah. know? And then like when the Gal Gadot movie came out, that was that was cool too because there was like this resurgence of it but there's also a cartoon too there's like a cartoon for kids mm -hmm. where she's younger and she wears pants and right. um and stuff like that too but but yeah i mean i would say that was it was being able to just really make people happy you know it's it, yeah. i think people underestimate the value of just bringing somebody joy yeah yeah Wow. And, and you've, so, and you've taught kids too, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I, for a long time, I taught, <clears throat> taught at regular acting classes to kids as young as four, three or four. Oh, wow. <laughs> all the way up through, you know, all the way up through adults really. Um, uh -huh. you know, I was also teaching adults as well, but it was interesting. Like, you know, you, you, it's different things for different age groups, right. When they're like, I used to, I used to teach um, a class for four to six year olds mm -hmm. and it was their very first on camera acting class. And that was always kind of a hoot because they, you know, at that <laughs> point you're teaching them how to stand still, how to follow directions, how to art be articulate um, and how to essentially play pretend on command. Cause they're really good. They have incredible imaginations, but you have to say, no, I need you to pretend to be scared right now. Not a spaghetti monster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or like yeah. te teaching them how, because a lot of times for TV and film, when they interview um, kids, they'll, they'll, or when they audition kids, sometimes I just want them to do like a little interview, especially if they're really young and they're like not reading age and stuff. They'll say, okay, you know, here's three questions. And um, as it, cause I did a lot of private coaching as mm -hmm. well. Um, some of my kids are on netflix and hulu right now and i'm super proud of them wow awesome um yeah one of my one of my girls is on sweet magnolias on netflix um wow. and one of my other kids that i that i still coach um he's autistic and i've been his coach since he was seven years old he's 13 now um he's also a little filmmaker so i've helped him make some films too because mm -hmm. i also do that stuff and um he just i can't say what he booked because it's not it hasn't aired yet but he booked a recurring role on a, on a major series from something that we worked on. And, um, you know, I'm just really proud of them, but, but yeah, oh. they, it's, it's, it's interesting because when they're that little and they're doing the interview questions, you have to teach them how to say, my favorite color is blue because it reminds me of the ocean. Not my favorite color is blue. And I had a popsicle last night and it melted and mommy got mad. And then I opened the window and I think there's a cat outside. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I had, a, I, I taught for a, a long time and I coached for a long time and it was really rewarding, you know, just, just in, in like watching, you know, cause I would have some of these kids, I would have them for years because they would just come up through the various levels of my classes. I taught between two private studios. So I had pre-professional and professional kids, mm -hmm. you know, who that was like, that was their thing. And I taught some theater, but mostly TV and film. And I still have a couple that I coach here and there. Mm -hmm. um, but I've shifted into um, just doing writer, producer, director, actor work yeah. full time now, which is where I was 
head it, that was always my goal, but it was a, a nice stop along the way to be able to do that as yeah. well. Awesome. All right. So um, I'm tempted to ask you uh, lots more questions, yes. uh, but we are running out of time. Um, so before I go any further, um, so if people want to know, like, is there is there some place you would direct people to like learn more about you or learn more about a project that you're working on? Yeah, I would say um, really probably Instagram. It's just my name. It's just backslash Carrie Ann Hunt mm-hmm. at Instagram. Um, at Instagram, that's wow. <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram, but that's will- pretty much. Okay. pretty much where where I post about things. I also I'm also on TikTok, but that's mostly just me like screwing around, just talking about <laughs> things or playing with funny filters. But I will talk about projects that I'm working on on there too. But I think Instagram is probably the best bet. Is there anything cool you got coming up? Yes. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let me think how to okay. All right. I'm gonna I can do it. Let me see how it's it's like when somebody asks you when they're like, cool, what's your project about? You're like, I have no idea. Even though you've just like spent years working on it and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Um, yes, actually, I've, there's um, a couple of indie film things coming up that I'm excited about. Um, there is a studio that I work with regularly as as a writer and a producer, but also as an actor because we do cross media stuff. So we're, we've got our hands in comics. We've got TV film stuff going on. There's like all all the things, right? Um, but we're gonna we're getting ready to do a short film um, at the end of what month is this? April. At the end of May, we're doing a short film that I'm getting to play the lead in that I'm really excited about. It's a it's it's a drama. It's bittersweet. I can't. It's about a girl on her wedding day who gets to um, have have something she thought she wasn't going to have, and there's a twist to it. So it's really hard for me to explain it without really giving it away. But I'm excited right. about that. And then I've got another one coming up in the fall or the winter that is um, I am a producer on and also playing uh, playing the female lead in that I'm pretty excited about. It's um, it focuses on um, PTSD and the lack of mental health care for veterans in uh, in America. So mm-hmm. it's a fictional story, but it's a story that sort of shines a light on uh, that issue so it's again it's a drama and I'm I'm looking forward to it because it's modern day because a lot of like y- you know this because you know me but a lot of what I do is period and fantasy and stuff like that and so I'm excited to have some a couple of modern modern things for my reel and there's all kinds of other stuff up in the air but it's just you know like always creating stuff and just seeing what sticks you know mm-hmm. seeing what sticks and who gives us money for it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. kinda, kind of a thing but yeah thanks so much for having me on it's been really fun to catch up absolutely yeah um and i hope i see you soon yeah yeah no i need to come see you guys i really do i I miss everybody a lot yeah so give give laura a hug for me pet all the animals i will all right well take care thank you for doing this i appreciate it yeah of course thanks bye fans all right bye-bye 
A big thanks to Carrie Ann for sharing her story with us and diving into Linda Carter's Wonder Woman for the very first time. Be sure and check out her Instagram and stop by her IMDb page. You may have already seen her in something you don't know. I also want to thank you for listening. And if you're looking for more classic TV podcasts, check out my links at wonderwomanwednesdays.com. I've added more links like the wonderfully disjointed Here Watch This, a grab bag of rerun reviews by Kristen Hawes and Shan. And I've even added a few podcasts that aren't really about classic TV. I just like them. Like Beauty and the Beast and the Bees, a genre film podcast with Tim S. Turner and Kelly Hogaboom. Lots of great schlock cinema from the 70s to today. And I dare you not to enjoy Tim's infectious laugh. We've got more great episodes coming up. And if you're a cosplayer and want to join me, I would love to hear from you. In the meantime, be kind whenever possible. Spoiler alert, it is always possible. Where's Wonder Woman? I don't know. I think she had to leave. Diana, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back. Everything all right at home? Everything's fine. I'm fine, too. Drew, where have you been? You had us all worried half to death. Well, to tell you the truth, I was on... It's a long story, Steve, and let's just say that Drew is acting like a teenager. The really important thing is that she's back with us and safe, isn't it? That's right, Diana. But don't you scare us like that again, okay? Yes, sir. You know, it's too bad about Wonder Woman. I wanted to thank her. Tell her once again how much I appreciate her help. I'm sure she knows that. Didn't you get that impression, Drew? Yes, I did. Well, this calls for a celebration, and it's on me. Huh? <laughs>